The pursuit of God doesn't stop when a believer gets saved. There's so much more to discover about a living and active God who is with us and in us. So if you've ever thought to yourself, there's got to be more than this, well, you are in the right place. Welcome to The More of God, a safe place to explore the more. Thank you so much, Dr. Mike, for taking some time out to spend with us today to talk a little bit about God. I appreciate you being here. My privilege. It's great to be here with you. You too. I usually just start out the podcast kind of asking people a little bit about their testimony. So if you could just share a little summary about how you first met God. Okay. Well, I was I was blessed to have parents that took me to church. They took me to Sunday school and church. I was raised as a, a Baptist, actually not a Southern Baptist, but American Baptist, which is a little bit different. I was raised in Illinois by parents who came from Kentucky. So that the Southern piece has always been a very big part of my life, even though I was the only Yankee that was born in the <laughs> entire family. I was raised as a Baptist. I went to Sunday school, church every Sunday, I was in youth group, was part of a Boy Scout medal, the God and Country medal. I, I did, at least at 13, I gave my life to Christ and was baptized. And then I was living my life with Christ, just like I saw everybody else doing it. The, we did great on Sunday, and then during the rest of the week, we lived <laughs> like everybody else. And that that seemed to be okay until I got into high school and then into college. And I got into some situations that really brought me in a place of real despair, feeling suicidal, feeling like a lot of hopelessness, not, not a lot of purpose. And I really had an encounter with Jesus that radically uh, changed my life. And uh, it brought me to a place where not only I, I gave myself fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but then I said, whatever you want, Lord, I'll do it. And uh, it was from there that I ended up leading a youth Bible study that we would have 50 young people in the in my parents' basement. I was still living with my parents at the time, going to college and living with my parents. And then from that came a call to ministry. And because I was raised in a small Baptist church, our church had lots of problems. And one of them was they chased off a pastor about every 18 months. So I thought being a pastor was the stupidest job in the world. Who, whoever, you know, who would ever want that job? Certainly not me. And yet when the Lord put his call in my life, he reminded me, I uh, said, well, you said that you would do whatever I wanted you to do. And I said, yes, Lord. And he says, well, I'm calling you into the pastorate. So not that, that though, up. not that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I had, I had to say yes, because he had me, you know, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's wonderful. He's, he's, he's loving, he's kind, but he's also pretty funny. Uh-huh. Every once in a while, he can be a little sarcastic, at least in our <laughs> conversations. It's like, well, you, you said, and I said, yeah, you're right. I did. <laughs> That's the kind of friendship we have. So yep. uh, that that led me into a call into pastoral ministry that I pastored for 35 years. And then in uh, 2011, I was asked by Dr. Randy Clark if I would come and direct his education programs at Global Awakening. And so after living 58 years in Illinois, I moved to Pennsylvania, a state I'd never been to, and have been here now eight years this month in his education programs. That is a, a transition I'd love to ask you about. How did you go from a rural Baptist upbringing to running the Global School of Supernatural <laughs> Ministry? Well, m- most people are not aware that I've 
I actually have known Randy for over 30 years. Uh, he and I were Baptist pastors in the same denomination in Southern Illinois, uh, in sister churches, just eight miles apart from each other. Oh, wow. So we met each other before we got filled with the Spirit. And then if you've ever heard Randy's testimony, he invited a group of guys from the Vineyard Church in Anaheim, California to come to his church to lead a weekend of healing. And I had helped Randy put those meetings together. We had met John Wimber, who was the leader of the Vineyard, yeah. back at a James Robinson Bible Conference in Dallas-Fort Worth, and just really had been, were really interested in this life and the spirit thing. Mm -hmm. And Randy was going after healing in a big way. And I was in those meetings in March of 1984 when we were really impacted in a real powerful way by the Holy Spirit, so much so that the name of Randy's church was called Spillertown Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were so impacted by the Spirit of God, our paradigm shifted about what was available in the kingdom of God, yeah. that we started calling those meetings after the fact, the Spillertown Massacre. Um, <laughs> because not only were we ruined for anything other than biblical kingdom Christianity, uh, we had to have it. But many of us pastors who were in traditional denominational churches actually lost our jobs because you know things changed. And many of us didn't weren't trying to lose our jobs when we're trying to force it on people. But, you know, it's amazing when you begin to ask the spirit of God to show up, he actually does. Yep. It causes some people to be happy and other people to not be so happy. So that's what I did. So when those kinds of things happened, was there any part of you that was kind of like, what in the world were you, was any part of you scared of it because it was new? I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast are on the edge of that, where they're kind of peeking in and they're interested, but they're a little bit maybe trepidatious about moving forward. Was any part of you feeling like that? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Because you have to understand, I, there's a term that we use in theological circles called a cessationist. Mm -hmm. And that is, as a cessationist, I did not believe that anything that had to do with the supernatural was available for us today. We believed in God. We believed in Jesus. We believed in angels. We believed in praying for people to be healed, except we always put in, if it be your will, at the end of it. Uh, that was our, that was our um, caveat. <laughs> caveat, you know. And then when I began to move in this and began to have my whole paradigm of the kingdom shift, it was scary. I was not comfortable with the way that people reacted when the Spirit of God came into the room. People shook, people cried, people laughed, people did all sorts of things that I was not comfortable with because I had God in a box about this is what religion, Christian religion looks like, and this is what we do, and anything outside that box. We called them the holy rollers, and, and actually in Bible college, when I would encounter a charismatic or Pentecostal, I was the one that argued with them all the time. I made their lives miserable. You know, I would have debates with them about this. So for me, I had to have a radical shift in my understanding and thinking of not only how I read the Bible, but what I actually believed was available. So how and, did you reconcile that with God? Well, when you get touched by the Holy Spirit, he opens your eyes. Yeah. And you begin to read the Bible and you begin to say, okay, yeah, there's nothing in the Bible that says this isn't available for me today. There's nothing in the Bible that says this ended with the apostles. There's nothing there at all. And when you begin to see that, you begin to say, wow, not only in the New Testament, but you begin to read the Old Testament in a totally different way. And you begin to see the prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, the prophecies that were fulfilled. And so the revelation comes that 
oh yeah, this is the same things that Jesus and the disciples did are available for us to do today. Yeah. So that's how I reconciled it. Now, as a Baptist pastor, one of the things you have to remember about pastors is if they begin to move in a different direction than what they were hired in on, you actually put yourself in jeopardy. Yeah. You put yourself, you put your family in jeopardy because, you know, in some denominations and in some churches, you can lose your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, you lose your income, you lose your insurance, you lose you lose a lot and your your family in terms of their income can suffer in that regard. And so that's that's something that as pastors, you, you know, you, you believe this stuff, but at the same point, you have a responsibility to pastor the people that you're over. And at the same point, there's a concern about, am I going to get fired for this? Yeah, huh? definitely. So all of that played in. Yeah, you definitely have to have a conviction to move forward with that hanging over your head. So I met you last year, probably around this time at a local church. You were there doing a talk on praying for people who had experienced trauma or had PTSD. And I think I remember from your story that that was not something you were looking necessarily to get into. It was something God kind of (laughs) invited you into. Could you share a little bit about that? So as I work for Dr. Randy Clark, I promote his education programs. And one of the ways I do that is I travel with him to different events. So I was in an event in Urbana, Illinois at a, at a vineyard church. And during that event, an Iraqi war veteran that had been assigned to us as a security guard from the church came up to me and asked me if Randy would pray for him because he was suffering from severe PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder. And it was, the symptomology was he couldn't sleep more than two to two hours, two to three hours a night. He had severe night sweats where he soaked the bed every night. He had chronic nerve pain. He was suicidal. He was full of anxiety. He couldn't sleep with his wife anymore because he would uh, have nightmares about his war experiences and attack her in bed. Uh, he was just, just suffering miserably. And so I went to Randy. And I said, Hey, Randy, this guy wants you to pray for him. And Randy looked at me and he stuck his finger in my face and says, Mike, I'll stand with you in prayer, but I want you to pray for him. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, he's the boss. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. But, and while I had prayed for lots of people with trauma before, it all had to do with people who had chronic nerve pain or fibromyalgia. Because one of the things you learn in praying for physical healing is that many times people develop chronic nerve pain Mm -hmm. because of traumatic events that took place. Mm -hmm. And so we would always ask the question, how long have you had the chronic nerve pain? Five years, let's say. And was there a traumatic event that happened five or six years ago? We would pray that a lot of times would be the root. But I had never really prayed that I knew of for anybody specifically for PTSD. So when the guy came in, a prayer that John Wimber, the, the founder of the Vineyard, always taught us to pray before he prayed for anybody was, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do here? So in my own mind, I prayed that prayer, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do here? And I got a download. I began to get steps how to pray for this guy. And in about 10 minutes time, uh, he got touched by the Holy Spirit. He fell to his knees He came up completely out of pain, completely at peace. He went home that night. He slept for nine hours that night for the first time in over five years. No night sweats whatsoever. And just just had an amazing transformation. And I thought, well, that's cool, God. You know, I use this illustration all the time, April. You know, when you pray for somebody's knee to be healed, 
and their knee gets wonderfully healed and they have no more pain, you don't think, oh, wow, I'm going to have a knee, knee <laughs> healing ministry now. I'm going to teach people how to pray for knees and everybody's going to get, you know, you just think, well, praise God, that's an awesome thing. So over that next year, 2013, I was given opportunity by Randy particularly to share the testimonies of people that were getting healed of trauma. And then he would say, everybody who has PTSD, come down and Michael pray for you. So I <laughs> was in situations where I was praying for 30 to 40 people a night wow. over individually for post-traumatic stress disorder. And over that next year, everybody that reported back to me was completely healed of all the symptoms. Wow. But it wasn't anything that I was looking for. It wasn't even April. It wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. I I had no idea, but it became apparent as time went on that there had been an anointing that came with the assignment that Randy gave me. And through that anointing, I was able not only to pray for people to be healed, but then about a year later, I was led to start doing training seminars mm -hmm. because so many people were hearing about the people that were getting healed of trauma. And I started doing training seminars, how to, how to actually do it yourself, how to pray for people with trauma. And that's led to over 10,000 people that have, wow. have been trained in this country as well as five other countries to be prayer ministers. And we have over 12,000 verified testimonies of people who have been completely delivered of all symptoms of any kind of unresolved trauma. So how awesome is that? That's how it happened. When I was thinking about talking with you today, I was thinking there just seems to be so much more trauma going on. But then I thought maybe it's not there's more trauma. It's just more is being brought to the light. Which do you think it is? First of all, we have more people on the earth. That's the first thing. Right. Uh, if you think about it, we were just looking at these statistics the other day. There's over 360 million people in the United States. And we're going to cross the threshold of 8 million people in the world. Mm. On top of that, you and I both understand that we live in the end times, whether that means that the end times has been 2,000 years since Jesus came or within the last 50 years, let's say. But it's obvious that just the 20th century alone was a horribly traumatic century with world wars and with Vietnam and all the other wars that took place, with literally hundreds of millions of people dying of either wars or in famines or in genocides. So we are living in that time that Jesus talked about in Matthew 25, that there will be wars and rumors of wars and great shaking. And in the midst of that, you have much more people experiencing much more trauma because of how violent. I mean, our, our world is becoming more violent. And at the same time, we're becoming much more aware of it because of first radio and then television and now social media where we see every traumatic event that happens, you know, whether it's the horrific killing of this African-American man in Minneapolis, that's so traumatic to see yeah. what happened there. Uh, you, just think of all the traumatic events that people have experienced in both natural disasters as well as unnatural disasters in 9-11, like the 9-11 the disaster. So it is, we're talking about it more, but there is more that's actually happening in terms of, many more traumatic events that are taking place. I know that there's places for counseling and normal therapy, but there's also this kind of inner healing work done by God. So 
I've heard stories of people saying, you know, I've been in counseling for 10 years. I got one prayer and instantly feel complete healing from this. Why do you think the work of the Holy Spirit is, can be at least so much more effective? Well, quite frankly, counseling, and by the way, I was a licensed clinical therapist for 10 years. I worked in social work with foster children and their family. So I believe in the ministry of counseling. I really do. I think that we desperately need spirit-filled, Bible-believing counselors to bring the Word of God and the counsel of God to people. So I want to say that as a beginning statement. But the reality is, is that counseling, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, doesn't heal anything. Counseling gives coping mechanisms. It gives ways to think about stuff. You know, there's the what's called CBT or cognitive behavior therapy that helps you think about your behavior and try to change it. But the only thing that can really change and heal is the power of God through prayer. And most people who deal with folks who suffer with trauma or post-traumatic stress will tell you that all they can give them is assistance to deal with the trauma that they carry. So they give them medication to help them stay sane, and they give them counseling to help them to cope. But in no way is the term healing actually used. Now, it's interesting that the United States Postal Service, about six months ago, actually put out a a stamp that has a little flower on it, and it said it it was called Healing PTSD. And I saw that as a tremendous prophetic act, that there is rising within our culture an understanding about trauma and that PTSD can be healed. Because up until just a few years ago, April, most doctors and counselors did not believe that you could ever be healed of PTSD. They considered it a traumatic brain injury that you would just have to live with for the rest of your life. And that, and so what, what does that do for somebody who carries severe PTSD? Well, they carry all these horrific memories. They carry, they're constantly reminded of them by their triggers that happens. It creates hopelessness and despair, which is why right now, it's been true for the last number of years, we lose 22 military veterans or active duty soldiers on average a day to suicide mm-hmm. because they cut, and it's all due to unresolved trauma, unresolved post-traumatic stress disorder. It's because counseling and medication doesn't heal. It only helps you to cope. But but it's the power of God where Jesus said he'd come to heal the brokenhearted, Mm -hmm. that in that is the promise of healing from any kind of shattering of your soul from the trauma that you experienced. Yeah. You talked about PTCD during your your talk at the church, and that's something I've actually used that phrase. So when you said it, it just resonated with me, but meaning post-traumatic church disorder. And I think church hurt is something that, you know, people would talk about all the time. I never understood why it seemed so deep when they would talk about it until I've experienced some myself. And once you experience it, you're like, oh, that's why it can be a very traumatic experience. So I saw you post on Facebook a little bit about post-traumatic church disorder or however you want to phrase it. Can you speak a little bit about what you mean by that and and how you see that fitting in with PTSD too? Well, let me talk about the word disorder for just a minute. The diagnosis in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that is a professional journal that's put out by the American Psychiatric Association, 
lists post-traumatic stress as a disorder. Mm. And many people don't, obviously they don't want to have that label because the idea that it's like a mental disease or it's a mental disorder, something like that. There is a new uh, wave of counselors. There's a new wave of counselors and therapists and psychiatrists that have begun to see a, a better view of what it means to carry trauma. And they're moving towards calling it post-traumatic stress injury Mm. in that carrying trauma is not a mental disorder. It's not a mental illness. It is uh, an injury that happens. And the exciting thing about it for me is April is that that I believe is how the Bible looks at trauma. When Jesus says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, the word literally means shattered soul. That what trauma does is it injures you in such a way that it shatters your soul and it affects your mind, your will, your emotions, and your identity. So that in those areas of your soul, trauma affects it in a way that you don't think like you used to, you don't feel like you used to, you have difficulty making the right choices, and your identity is being impacted. So you've been injured. And I say this all the time. We've been telling men who come back from war who carry trauma, well, you know, you just need to get over it. You just need to get over it and move on, you know, suck it up, just just be a man type of thing. But, you know, if the same man broke his leg, we wouldn't say to him, well, just go ahead and walk on that leg. You can do that. <laughs> you know, no, we put it in the cast. Right. You know, we give him pain medication and he gets therapy. So in the same way, when you've been injured by trauma, it's a wound that needs to be healed. So with post-traumatic church, I'm going to call it injury. I know I call it disorder. I always use the term post-traumatic church disorder because everybody in the room laughs. Yeah. And the reason why they laugh is because they know it's true. Yeah. And the reason why post-traumatic church injury is so difficult is that most all of us come into a church and we're, we're looking for a place to belong. We're looking for a family. And in the midst of that, we may encounter either leadership that is abusive and controlling, whether that be the senior leadership, like the pastoral level, or we encounter other people within the church, other leadership that can be manipulative, abusive, controlling uh, in lots of different ways. And, And because when you come to a church, you open up your heart. You literally do. You, you want to trust people. You want to belong. And when you begin to feel either controlled, abused, manipulated, or rejected, it is a, it's like being rejected by your family again. It's like being abandoned and forsaken. And it, it carries uh, such a weight. And, and understand that for most of us, whether we like to realize it or not, when we think of the church, we think of God. And we think, well, God, if this is the way you are, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. So therefore, your one hope of connecting with your creator is gone. And it mm-hmm. creates for a lot of people a real despair and hopelessness. They they may still believe in God. They may still you know, have a relationship with God and trust Jesus. But in terms of connecting with a community, they don't want to do that anymore. They don't, they, they've been to church. They've seen it in action and they don't want to have any part of it. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Have you been praying for people for that more? Oh, very much so. I, yeah. I pray on both sides, you know, because both sides carry this. Yes. I I deal with so many pastors and yeah. leaders 
who have uh, you know sheep bite, and sheep sheep bites have a tendency to to stay with you. Yeah. And you know, so I've dealt with a lot of pastors who have been hopeless, suicidal, have dropped out of ministry, or just feel just completely beaten up by their experience of trying to serve Jesus in the church. And on the other side, I've dealt with a whole lot of folks who have been in abusive environments, controlling, abusive, manipulative environments. The reality is, is that in a lot of Christian churches today, we do have leaders that they're really insecure. And because they're insecure in who they are, they take their identity and their power from the position that they have. And as they seek to wield their authority through a positional basis, they have a tendency to manipulate, dominate, or uh, intimidate through their position. And the Bible calls that, I don't want to get weird here, but the Bible calls that witchcraft. Whenever we seek to dominate, manipulate, or intimidate, that's witchcraft. Now, it's not you know, casting spells. It's not being around a big pot and cauldron and that type of thing. But it is a method of getting people to do what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. It is getting people in a place where they must respond to your authority. And that's what happens many times with people who are in post-traumatic church injury. That's what post-traumatic church injury is. So when you're dealing with those kind of leaders, then any kind of, when you're asking questions or when you're not in agreement with something and you begin to maybe ask questions about things, you're accused of being disloyal. You're accused of being, you know, not part of the flock, you know, all sorts of things. And there's lots of accusations that come your way that eventually drive people out. Yeah. And so that's a big part of post-traumatic church injury is people feel like that they've been driven out simply because they've asked questions of things in the church that they don't believe they're not comfortable with or they don't believe are, are right. Yeah. If there's somebody listening and they feel like they've been brokenhearted and they've been dealing with trauma of some sort and they feel like there's no hope left for them. What would be the one thing you would want them to listen to this and hear? First of all, what I want you to hear is that you're not alone, that there are others that have been through the kind of trauma that you've been through, that because of Jesus coming to this earth to bring the good news of not only just salvation, but restoration, he said the way that we would know it was good news is if your broken heart was healed. So I'm saying to you that according to Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, that you can know that whatever oppression or brokenheartedness you carry from your trauma, Jesus will heal and restore your soul. He will erase your memories or at least make the memories no longer painful and bring you a peace like you've never known. That's part of the gospel. Uh, You were never meant to carry trauma all the days of your life. You were meant to walk in an abundant life. And trauma has no part with that. That's awesome. If people want more information, how can they get more information from you and what you do? Sure. I have a, first of all, I have a website. The website is GodHealsPTSD.com. I also have a Facebook page. 
and it's simply God Heals PTSD. When you go there, you're going to find both teachings as well as lots of video and written testimonies of people who have been healed of trauma of all sorts, not just military trauma or first responder trauma, but trauma from domestic abuse, from child abuse, from being in 9-11. And you'll see lots of amazing testimonies of people that really will give you hope and faith to believe that healing is there for you as well. As a matter of fact, on both the website as well as the Facebook page, uh, there's a video of me actually praying the healing prayer. And a lot of folks have gotten healed just by watching that. So that's where GodHealsPTSD.com or Facebook GodHealsPTSD. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'd love if you would close in prayer. I will. Awesome. Thank you. Father, I thank you for April. I thank you for the opportunity to have this interview together to share just the good news of what you do in healing broken hearts. Spirit of living God, fall upon every person that's watching this podcast today. I break off of every person, every assignment of the evil one, spirit of trauma, spirit of fear, spirit of torment, even spirit of suicide in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for healing, release, and peace to them. I pray, Jesus, that right now, even as I'm praying, that spirit of God would just come upon them in a fresh way to bring restoration and freedom to them now. Thank you, Jesus, for this good news that you heal the brokenhearted. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the More of God podcast. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and the way he's working in our world today, I'd love for you to check out my website. It's www.themoreofgod.org. And if you've got a great story about the Holy Spirit and how he's worked in your life, I would love to hear it. Please go to the website contact form and drop me a little bit about what's happened in your life. And I'd love to feature you on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Thanks so much.